Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings once again as we continue our examination of the world around us. Does the evidence that's out there show that a creator God is evident? Or does it show that an undirected process such as natural selection and mutation, that is Darwinian evolution, can explain what we see? And since I just mentioned the word see, let's talk a bit about how it is that we do see anything. That is, the design or the cobbled together accidental structure of the human eye. And we're revisiting this topic again because one, it's a really good, solid piece of evidence for the reality of the creator-designer, and secondly, because in July 2014, there was yet another scientific article published that absolutely confirms creationist predictions and a creationist view of the eye. That is, it is exquisitely designed. And before we get to what these new details are, I want to fill you in with a bit of the history and the context for this discussion. It has long been claimed that the human eye, or the mammalian eye in general, is incredible evidence that there is absolutely no such thing as a designer. It's hard to know where to even start this discussion because there are so many delicious aspects to it. Before we talk about the actual design of the eye, whether it evolved or God created it, let's discuss how well it works. I mean, if you're going to critique a system as obviously poorly designed and cobbled together by a blind watchmaker, shouldn't the evidence that it's so poorly designed be in the fact that it doesn't work very well? Doesn't that make sense? Well, how well does the human eye actually function? And by the way, I will provide links in my website blog on this subject to several articles that contain a wealth of details that you can read for yourself. Educate yourself on this, make up your own mind whether the evolutionists are blowing smoke or not. But first, how about just a brief discussion of how well the eye works? And let's look at the response to light. After all, the fundamental thing that your eye does is receive light, doesn't it? There's an article at creation.com indicating that the design of the eye, or the result of the eye, is better than any camera. Uh, When you emerge from a darkened room into bright sunlight, your eye mechanically shrinks the pupil, cutting down the amount of light entering the eye. In fact, the eye works marvelously in a wide variety of light intensities, from hardly any light to very bright light. This is a subject known as dynamic range the eye can detect a single photon of light. Now, it's hard to get better than that, isn't it? If you can detect one photon, you can't get better than that because you are detecting all that there is. So despite some evolutionists claiming the eye is badly designed, it's just plain impossible to improve on the sensitivity. But the eye can also work with 10 billion photons. So its dynamic range is 10 billion to 1. Now, in a 2008 article discussing this, it points out that modern photographic film has a dynamic range of only about 1,000 to 1. 
as compared to our eye, which is 10 billion to 1. One of the fundamental problems is that in order to be really sensitive to light, so you can detect a very low volume of light, you wind up with a machinery that is overly sensitive to a lot of light and is in fact damaged when exposed to a lot of light. Now the dynamic range of the human eye not only exceeds photographic film, it exceeds the best man-made photo detectors that exist, period. So just on the subject of dynamic range, the sensitivity to light, it's pretty obvious the eye works remarkably well. And yet, we're told, it's obviously not designed. And we'll be talking about other features of eyesight and some of the newer things that have been discovered in science as to how it really works when we come back in just a moment. Well, okay, an eye is rather sensitive to light, has a great dynamic range. Well, what is it the evolutionists are pointing to as lousy design? Dr. Michael Shermer said it this way, The anatomy of the human eye shows that it is anything but intelligently designed. It is built upside down and backwards, with photons of light having to travel through the cornea, lens, aqueous fluid, blood vessels, ganglion cells, amacrine cells, horizontal cells, and bipolar cells before reaching the light-sensitive rods and cones that will transform the signal into neural impulses. So the basic complaint is that there's a lot of stuff in between where the photons enter the eye and the photoreceptor cells down in the retina, the rods and cones. That makes sense. Richard Dawkins in The Blind Watchmaker said, Any engineer would naturally assume that the photocells would point towards the light, with their wires leading backwards toward the brain. He would laugh at any suggestion that the photocells might point away from the light, with their wires departing on the side nearest the light. Yet this is exactly what happens in all vertebrate retinas. And responding to this information, science writer and evolutionist Graham Phillips said, No engineer worth his salt would design an eyeball the way ours have been built. And Dawkins continues his discussion of this in a later book, The Greatest Show on Earth, where he says, Suppose I tell you the eye's photocells are pointing backwards, away from the scene being looked at. The wires connecting the photocells to the brain run all over the surface of the retina, so that the light rays have to pass through a carpet of massed wires before they hit the photocells. That doesn't make sense. Now, we should note these descriptions of the anatomy of the eye are accurate. However, they are incomplete, and the incompleteness is exceedingly important. However, note, We already know, aside from the physical anatomy, we know the light sensitivity of the eye has a dynamic range of 10 billion to 1, and it's able to see a single photon. So I don't care what the anatomy looks like, it's pretty darn obvious the system works well. Now, if I'm an engineer, and I'm presented with a system that clearly functions very well, And yet when I look at some of the details of how it's put together, it seems to be backwards. What should I conclude? Obviously, 
it wasn't designed, or whoever designed it's a moron, right? That's my conclusion. Well, only if I don't do any investigation. If I assume ahead of time that it wasn't designed, then I reach that conclusion. But suppose I actually examine it. Suppose I really look into it. Let's see. The nerve cells exit the front. The light-sensitive cells, the actual rods and cones, are down toward the back of the retina. I ought to ask the question, is there any reason for this? Is there any benefit to this architecture? Turns out the benefit is enormous and has been well-known for a long time. Well-known, that is, among people who read creationist literature or the actual scientific literature, completely unknown to those of us who only get our information from evolutionists, who never tell us the whole story. Whether they're aware of it or not, I don't know. doesn't really matter. The fact is, if you only listen to what Richard Dawkins or Kenneth Miller or Michael Shermer or any of these folks present, you do not get the whole story. You get a totally biased view of things. So, open your eyes and your mind and think for yourself. So let's actually think about this and look into the design a little bit closer. Is there any reason for these photoreceptor cells to be at the position they're at? Well, they are intimately associated with the pigment layer. They're actually buried within it. And this layer provides a very rich source of blood. You need a tremendous amount of blood to be available to enable the cooling and the regeneration needed for these cells when they encounter a large amount of light. This is one of the design features, not mistakes, that allows the dynamic range that the retina has. Now, none of this is new. There's an article from September 1996 in Creation Magazine, and if you had read that, you would be better educated than Richard Dawkins, Michael Shermer, and those who listen to them. The article is an interview with the eye disease researcher, Dr. George Marshall, from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. He has a Ph.D. in ophthalmolic science, and he actually studies how the eye functions, and in particular, disease of the eye. The interview occurred because he actually wrote to the folks at Creation Magazine saying, the real reason for this design was sort of buried in a footnote in your article, so it wasn't elaborated on. And they said, would you care to elaborate? Here's what Dr. Marshall had to say. Now remember, these words are from an actual scientific expert in the anatomy and function and disease of the eye. He says the following, The light-detecting structures within photoreceptor cells are located in the stack of discs. These discs are being continually replaced by the formation of new ones at the cell body end of the stack, thereby pushing older discs down the stack. Those discs at the other end of the stack are swallowed by a single layer of retinal pigment epithelial, RPE cells. RPE cells are highly active, and for this they need a very large blood supply, the choroid. Unlike the retina, which is virtually transparent, the choroid is virtually opaque. That means it doesn't let any light through at all because of the vast numbers of red blood cells within it. 
for the retina to be wired the way that Professor Richard Dawkins suggested would require the choroid to come between the photoreceptor cells and the light, for RPE cells must be kept in intimate contact with both the choroid and photoreceptor to perform their job. Anybody who has had the misfortune of a hemorrhage in front of the retina will testify as to how well red blood cells block out the light. Dr. Marshall was then asked, then what do you think of the idea that the eye is wired backward? He responded, the notion that the eye was wired backward occurred to me as a 13-year-old when studying eye anatomy in a school science class. It took me two years of lecturing on human eye anatomy to realize why the eye is wired the way it is. The idea that the eye is wired backwards comes from a lack of knowledge of eye function and anatomy. Dr. Marshall was then asked, how do you react to the notion that the human eye is the product of evolution? And he responded, the more I study the human eye, the harder it is to believe that it evolved. Most people see the miracle of sight. I see a miracle of complexity on viewing things at 100,000 times magnification. It is the perfection of this complexity that causes me to balk at evolutionary theory. He was asked, can you give our readers some idea of just how complex the eye is? The retina is probably the most complicated tissue in the whole body. Millions of nerve cells interconnect in a fantastic number of ways to form a miniature brain. Much of what the photoreceptors see is interpreted and processed by the retina long before it enters the brain. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this information about the utility and reasons for the orientation, the anatomy of the eye, the placement of the photoreceptor cells where they are, as opposed to where the evolutionists tell us they ought to be, has been documented and well-known for decades. However, it's still true there's a whole bunch of stuff that appears to be in the way of the photons getting to the photoreceptor cells. So just how is it that we're able to detect a single photon and have such acute vision anyway? Well, it turns out there's some other structures in there that weren't known. Beginning in about 2007, it began to be reported that there are what are called Muller or Mueller cells in the retinal tissue. These cells effectively act like fiber optics. They literally pass the photons through these cells, past all the stuff that's in the way, and deliver them down to the photoreceptors. Now, of course, as soon as this began to be published and known, creationists made sure all of their readers were well aware of it. We looked at it this way. We know the eye works well. We also know there's a bunch of stuff in the way. So, are we surprised that there's a design feature we just hadn't yet noticed that accommodates this issue? We actually tunnel the light past all of the things that are in the way, thus allowing the rich blood supply needed by the photoreceptor cells and allowing those necessary photons to make their way down to those photoreceptor cells. Now, just to help you understand how important this rich blood supply is, think about what happens when somebody flashes a flashbulb in your face. You get a bright light. What happens? Briefly, you're blinded by that, right? 
you'd see that spot before your eyes. But rather quickly, your eye adjusts to that and your normal vision returns. That requires these active cells having that rich blood supply to take care of effectively the damage that was done by that intense light. If you didn't have all of this rich blood supply available, it would take a very long time to recover from that type of incident, if you could recover at all. Interestingly, evolutionists point out, well, you know, the eye of the cephalopods, squid and octopus, these are wired the right way. The optic nerve goes backwards from the photoreceptor cells, and the light doesn't have to travel past them. Well, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you heard somebody say, they can see so well, they've got eyes like a squid? Uh, you haven't heard that? Maybe you've heard something like, they've got eyes like an eagle? Well, guess what? An eagle's eyes are wired just like ours are, backwards according to the evolutionists. They work rather well, don't they? So please understand that the positioning of these photoreceptor cells where they are is anything but a cobbled together mistake in backward wiring. It is in fact a very intelligently planned design feature that provides the ability to have an enormous dynamic range. These cells get really hot when you light them up with a lot of photons, and having worked on embedded systems for the military, where computers and other devices were literally embedded in something where there is no airflow, cooling is incredibly important, and you have to design in features to channel heat away from active components. That's precisely what God did in designing these eyes. Now note, a squid or octopus, when's the last time they had a bright light flashed in their face? They don't need that design feature. They live in a low-light environment. But this still isn't the whole story. Recent discoveries have pointed out even more features of these Mueller cells. There is a very good blog discussing this over at blog.drweil.com d-r-w-i-l-e dot com. Dr. Weil is a creationist scientist and writer. The title of his blog is Confirmation of a Creationist Prediction Becomes Even More Stunning. Dr. Weil points out that the very same scientist who published the 2010 study about these Mueller cells teamed up with two other scientists and continued to analyze this exquisite design of the retina. To understand the results of their new study, you have to understand first the difference between rods and cones. Both types of cells detect light, but the rods simply detect the presence or absence of light. The cones, on the other hand, detect color. Because they detect color, however, the cones aren't as sensitive to light. In poorly lit conditions, then, your sense of sight depends strongly on the rods and you don't get a good sense of color. In well-lit conditions, the cones become more important, giving you excellent color vision as well. Generally speaking, of course, there's more light available in the day than there is at night. Thus, we can say that in general, your night vision is heavily dependent on your rods, while your day vision is heavily dependent on your cones. This means there's a trade-off when it comes to day and night vision. For ideal daytime vision, All the light that hits your eyes should be directed to your cones. Of course, if that happened, you would have poor night vision. For ideal night vision, 
all the light that hits your eyes should be directed to your rods. Of course, if that happened, you would not have any color vision. Well, it turns out that the Mueller cells in the eye are exquisitely designed to deal with this trade-off. As the authors of this new study state, Mueller cells separate white light according to its wavelengths. Medium and long wavelength light is concentrated onto cones, and short wavelength light leaks to illuminate nearby rods. Next, we show similar theoretical calculations for the guinea pig Mueller cells and describe imaging experiments in the isolated guinea pig retina to find remarkable agreement between the experimental results and the computational model. Listen to this sentence. These findings are consistent with the hypothesis that the wave-guiding properties of Mueller cells are wavelength-dependent in a manner that improves cone-mediated vision, that would be color vision, while minimally impeding rod-mediated vision, that would be light detection and low-light vision. So in other words, the Mueller cells direct the light to where it needs to go so that humans and guinea pigs and probably all vertebrates have the best daytime vision possible without significantly impeding their night vision. Now you have to understand none of this would be possible if the rods and cones were placed on the retinal surface, which is what evolutionists have consistently argued would be the best design. Had the creator designed our eyes the way evolutionists thought they should be designed, not only would our vision be more blurry, but we would also have poorer night vision, poorer day vision, or perhaps both. Dr. Wiles concludes this way, the next time you hear someone pontificating about bad designs in nature, remember the design of the retina. Evolutionists were convinced it was a bad design, but modern science shows us that it is, in fact, an exquisite design. The more we study nature, the more it testifies to its creator. Now, as we mention often on this show, that is precisely what the Apostle Paul claimed would be the case when he wrote in the letter to the Romans that there's evidence for the Creator in the creation around us. It seems that the primary determining factor as to whether or not we see that evidence is whether or not we look for it. So what happens if you are determined to not see evidence of a designer when you look at things like this? Well, there's yet another good blog about this over at Uncommon Descent titled Wavelength-Dependent Optical Fibers in the Mammalian Eye. Physicist John Hewitt commented on this. Having the photoreceptors at the back of the retina is not a design constraint. It is a design feature. The idea that the vertebrate eye, like a traditional front-illuminated camera, might have been improved somehow if it had only been able to orient its wiring behind the photoreceptor layer, like a cephalopod, is folly. Now, comments like these are a challenge to die-hard evolutionists who appear never to be able to learn from their mistakes. As a case in point, consider the reaction of one biologist noted in the New Scientist article back in 2010, the editorial, that is, in 2010, Kenneth Miller a biologist at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and an untiring veteran of the creation-evolution wars, 
calls the Mueller cells, quote, a retrofit, a successful and highly functional adaptation made necessary by the original architecture of the retina, but a retrofit. The eye's structure and the blind spot in particular bears the unmistakable fingerprints of Darwinian evolution. So when confronted with exquisite design features that resolve engineering problems, the evolutionist simply says, well, those were added later. It's a retrofit to solve the problems that that stupid, undirected evolution created in the first place. Well, they have no proof whatsoever that those were added later. That is pure conjecture to hang on to their religious faith that undirected evolution can explain things like the absolutely exquisite design of the vertebrate eye. SeaCreationMythOrMiracle.com